This is an AMI podcast. Describe your culinary style in two words. Punk rock. Mary Mammoliti is cooking things up. I really do love to cook. It's a way of taking care of people. Contrary to Seinfeld, soup can be a meal. Now I'm losing the vision in my left eye, and making pizzas has become a real challenge, but I still love it. I noticed that with cooking, whenever there's food involved, whether we have sight or not, if you have that passion for it, it all turns out the same. Kitchen Confession, new episodes every second Wednesday. Download this AMI podcast wherever you listen. I'm Joita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. Disability isn't a bad word. People with disabilities aren't a special interest group. It's the world's largest minority and one that anyone could join at any time. In Canada, it's the best of times to be a person with a disability, but it's also the worst of times. On the one hand, The Accessible Canada Act promises sweeping, systemic change across the country. On the other, COVID-19 has hit the disability community particularly hard. The pandemic having exposed gaping chasms in services and supports for the community. What is clear, however, is that the time for the disability community to act and make sure we are counted is now. Today, we discuss accessibility, disability, and intersectionality. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Joita Gupta, and I'm the host of the program. It's really good to have you with us today, nearing the end of the year, and it has been a really strange year for a lot of us for a lot of reasons. But it's also a good time to reflect on the year that was, and we've had some big changes take place in Canada in the last year, year and a half. I mentioned the Accessible Canada Act, of course, COVID-19. So it's always good to sit down with someone who's had decades of experience in the community and get a sense from them as to what it is that they see um, being a positive developments in the last 12 to 18 months and maybe, you know, things that we need to improve on as a disability community. So I'm very excited to have on a the program a guest I've wanted to talk to for some time now. My guest today is Heather McCain, who is one of four national community consultants for accessibility in action a project of the IRIS Institute. They are also the founder and executive director of the organization, not-for-profit organization, Creating Accessible Neighborhoods. They join me from Vancouver, British Columbia. Heather, welcome to The Pulse. It's really good to have you on the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I just want to mention that I am on the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh land. That's really well said. You know, I just, um, I was anchoring a conference for... AMI audio on the weekend. And one of the first things they did was a land acknowledgement. And I think it's very important for us within the disability community to put um, decolonization work and indigenous rights work at the center of the activism that we do as people with disabilities. And I promise you, we're actually going to talk about this later on in the program. I do, I do want to have a chat with you about that. But first, just tell us a little bit about um, this two-year contract that you've got with Accessibility in Action. What is Accessibility in Action and what are you hoping to achieve over the course of your next two years? So Accessibility in Action, it's a two-year initiative that's being managed by IRIS, as you mentioned, which is the Institute for Research and Development on Inclusion in Society. Um, And 
what this project is aiming to do is to create an online platform that will bring together you know, local to national disability communities and individuals to ensure that those who are the organizations that are regulated under the Accessible Canada Act, and that's transportation mm-hmm. and federal benefit programs, that when they actually have to do the work of the act, which is developing accessibility plans and the implementation of those plans, they are able to connect with the disability community. And we really want to make sure that it's a broad representation of the disability community. My role is to make sure that there is an intersectional lens that is applied, uh, which is part of the work that I do with my organization. Mm-hmm. Let me, we'll come back to the intersectionality piece as well. But when you mentioned that you'd like to be a part of ensuring that those agencies that will be regulated by the Accessible Canada Act are adequately consulting with people with disabilities in creating those plans and processes. Um, the question needs to be asked, so I'll ask it. Isn't it incumbent upon those agency, whether those agencies, whether it's transport or banking or telecommunications, shouldn't they all have independent consultation processes? Uh, is that not what's happening in terms of regulating, in terms of following the regulations under the Accessible Canada Act? So this is at the beginning stages. Um, and essentially, yes to, to your question but we want to connect them with the people who can do the consulting. So we want to make sure that they have the tools at place to be able to do that consultation and that Mm -hmm. the consultation that they do does represent the broader disability community. Uh, When some organizations, um, for example, in, in my experience with my organization, oftentimes organizations will hire consultants and those consultants may represent a certain disability group, but not the broader Group. And so what we're hoping mm-hmm. to do with this tool is to be able to have a more representative voice um, and be something that helps these companies move forward as they um, apply the Accessible Canada Act. That's a really good idea. Now, in terms of the online platform that you just mentioned a few minutes ago, you yeah, it's early days, but do you have some idea of what that's going to look like and uh, how people might be able to access the platform? Uh, what are your thoughts about how this is going to shape up? So it just started Monday. <laughs> so this is, this is all very new. Um, but essentially, we want to make sure that um, we can identify and engage with that local to national community of diverse people with disabilities um, and have them connect. We're not sure how, what that development and dissemination of those information tools and resource will look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that our group has been discussing right now. And part of it is going to be that my position over the two years, as well as the other three people who are in this position, will be to help build community and to help have consultation with disability groups. I think it's really important that the government not go into this creating what they think this should look like, but rather Mm -hmm. really spend the time consulting with the disability community at large to ensure that we are representing uh, the broader population. Because I think anybody with a disability has been involved in consultation where they get there and they know from the start that it doesn't matter what they're saying the consultation process has already decided what direction it's going in and Mm -hmm. they feel like they don't have a voice in that. And I feel like this project is really 
wanting to give that autonomy to the disability population. And so right now there is no kind of set idea, which I think is a positive um, mm -hmm. because it's really about making sure that the voices of people with disabilities uh, are heard. And so we're just trying to work out how do we best move forward with that. Mm, are, you, are you frankly concerned about this being the case with uh, consult, consultations uh, around the Accessible Canada Act? I mean, I spoke to Minister Qualtro a few days ago, and then earlier this year in the fall, I spoke to uh, the chairperson for the Canadian Accessibility Standards Organization, CASDO, and they were both very keen on this idea of nothing about us without us, or just nothing about us you know this this is that they they really sort of took it to heart it seemed that people with disabilities should be given a voice in the government cons consultation are you nevertheless concerned that maybe when it comes to implementation it's not really going to pan out yes i think anybody with a disability is concerned for the entire mm -hmm. process because we know how important this is um and also i can say that um here in bc Last November, we had consultation regarding the accessibility legislation, and the way that consultation was done was very inaccessible. My organization wrote a letter supported by several other organizations um, saying, like, if, if this is how this starts, we don't have much faith in how this is going to proceed, and you need mm -hmm. to work with the disability community. And so I think, you know, that is a good example of government really needing to not only take in the voices, but actually utilize them. And I think that is a concern for anybody who has a disability, that it's not just a, you know, check in a box of something that mm -hmm. they have to do, but that it's actual meaningful consultation um, that leads to not only helping these regulated entities, but also to helping to employ people with disabilities and organizations mm -hmm. that support people with disabilities. Uh, let me ask you a bit about the other three people who are in your position. You're one of four community consult, cons, you know, front of one of four people in this role uh, doing community consultation for accessibility and action. Have you had a chance to meet the other people who are working in different parts of Canada? Um, we briefly had a meeting, and um, beyond kind of sharing our name, we haven't got mm -hmm. to talk yet about the work that we've been doing. Um, but mm -hmm. it seems like a really good group of people that are involved, and I'm excited to learn more about them as well as what their uh, previous work has been. Let me ask you a little bit about this. This We talked a lot about intersectionality, um, and, you know, we sort of talked about it. We I talk about it a lot on this show, I think, but one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is how intersectionality is something that requires a great deal of attention. You know, you can't just check off a bunch of boxes and say, okay, well, now I have women with disabilities checked off and now I have Indigenous yeah. people with disabilities checked off. You can really do intersectional work in such a way that it ends up being very tokenistic, I, I think. So what are your thoughts about getting intersectionality right? Well, that is essentially the the brunt of the work that I have been hired to do is to make sure that... Mm. Uh, myself and the other three advisors are working with community to make sure that we're hearing directly from community. And I think part of that is um, being humble enough to be able to step back and say, I don't know everything about every population. And so that's why we need to hear from as many voices as possible and really not just hear from them, but listen to what they're saying and take in what they're saying, because the needs are going to be very different and you can have two people who are Indigenous who have extremely different experiences. 
um, and you want to be able to hear both of those experiences and hold them and be able to figure out how to help everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we do this work because within my own organization, we have seen how people have to put themselves into boxes and there's certain spaces where they can mm -hmm. be this identity or this identity, but there's very few spaces where they can be their entire full intersecting identities. Um, and I think that's really important. Something that this project is really trying to do is to represent that full person with a disability, not have mm -hmm. them divide themselves into different boxes and say, this need goes there and this need goes there, but really look at that fuller picture. And so what does that mean for the future of the Accessible Canada Act? Because that's what we're, what we're aiming towards is consultations that will make this act better. So if we were to adopt an intersectional framework or that, that kind of an analysis to inform consultations, how might the Accessible Canada Act look different compared to a scenario where we left that intersectional piece out? So I'm not speaking to the Accessible Canada Act. I'm speaking to like my role within this project, mm -hmm. uh, which we're still developing um, and is consultation with community. So I can't actually answer that question. Um, but I think uh, the work that we will do will help uh, create that discussion on how that intersectional lens can then be applied throughout this project and, mm -hmm. and other government, uh, such as the act itself. Right. Well, I don't mind weighing in on my own question. I, as a you know, I'm a woman <laughs> of color. I'm also an immigrant, um, and I'm a person with a disability. And I think the way that I experience my disability is shaped by all of those other factors. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a person of color. I'm an immigrant. And so, how I understand my identity as a person with a disability is shaped by all of those other things. So, for me. Uh, in a way, it's inconceivable to talk about disability without also talking about all of those other things. Um, and so I'm very happy to hear that the bulk of your work will be taking that intersectional look at um, the issues that are in front of the disability community. I'm Joita Gupta, and with me is Heather McCain, who is one of four consultants with the Accessibility in Action Project, as well as the founder and executive director for Creating Accessible Neighborhoods. That's uh, Heather's nonprofit, which they began 15 years ago. Heather, that's a long time to be committed to one project. Tell us about how you got started. Before I do that, though, I'm just going to add something to your last question, which is that all four of the consultants who have been hired in the position that I'm in do have intersecting identities. And I think that's mm -hmm. important to point out because this is uh, work being done by people who understand what it is to have those multiple intersecting identities. Mm -hmm. um, but as for myself and my organization, um, I am someone who has physical disabilities. And when I started this organization, it was because I was having access issues with the transportation here. I had finally been able to get a wheelchair and I thought I would have freedom after years of being stuck indoors at home. And then mm -hmm. the bus drivers would lie and say that the ramps weren't operating because they didn't want to take the time to load someone with a wheelchair. Um, and I wrote letter after letter to our transportation um, agency and no response back. And at the time, I was running a chronic pain support group. And when I couldn't find an organization to help support the letters I was writing, I appointed some members as a board and created my organization, wrote <laughs> the exact same letter to uh, the transportation company and got a well, this time with executive director underneath and got a response a week later. 
So that was the start (laughs) of my organization. And essentially, once I had been able to find a solution to that problem, I had a flood of people come to me with other accessibility issues. And so we've just kind of rolled from there. We've done accessibility audits. We do disability awareness training. We've been a consultant with that transportation agency for the entire time. And we've done taxi training and rideshare training. And um, transportation has been one of the most important issues that we do work on. And uh, over the years, the organization has uh, evolved. And in the last five years in particular, we have had a much more intersectional approach and centering decolonization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember reading about your agency a couple of years back, and I do believe back then it was called uh, Citizens for Accessible Neighborhoods. Um, and you, you made that name change a while back. Uh, what, were you, what was the thinking behind the name change? So we did that at the beginning of the year, and that is part of our decolonization practices is we recognize that mm-hmm. not every person uh, recognizes or identifies as being a citizen of Canada. And so we mm-hmm. wanted to honor the fact that citizenship is not something that we require in order to assist people. So we help people who are not from this country, whether they're living or visiting here. We help people who are Indigenous who don't consider themselves to be a citizen of Canada. And so when we first created the organization, we were looking more for an acronym than really thinking Mm -hmm. about what that word meant. And once we heard of the impact of that word for people, um, we made the decision to change it to creating. And we actually like the fact that creating is more action oriented. Yeah, I like that too, actually. And the other piece around just the word citizen is that, uh, you know, I'm just going on a bit of a limb here myself, but I feel like a lot of people with disabilities don't really get to enjoy the full benefits of being a citizen, even if you are a naturalized Canadian, even if you've been living here all your life, you don't get to participate in a lot of things that most quote unquote citizens take for granted. So I really like the change myself. Um, You know, Heather, I've been thinking for a long time that what I would love to do more than anything else is pack up and move to BC because um, I feel like there's (laughs) such a thriving, active disability community there. And uh, over the years, I've had the pleasure to speak to people from uh, the British Columbia Aboriginal Disability Network, um, you know, BCANS. I've spoken to so many activists out of BC. Do you find that you um, do you find that you benefit from, I guess, the zeitgeist in, in British Columbia or the really active disability culture, Blind Beginnings with Sean Marsalais, uh, you know, another one that I've, I, another person that I've had some really good conversations with. Do you find that you benefit from being in a place where everybody's really on top of their game? Well, I think it certainly helps. I mean, I, I feel supported in the work that I do. And I have a lot of people that uh, not only encourage me, but that I can learn from. And that's really important. I do want to point out that there are very vast geographical differences to a person with a disability experiencing uh, life in in, uh, BC, because if Mm -hmm. you're in Vancouver versus Haida Gwaii or Fort St. John, Um, that community and those organizations are not necessarily as available. So Vancouver itself, um, where a lot of disabled people are kind of forced to go because it's where the accessible transportation and the medical Mm -hmm. system is, there is a very large disability community that is active. And uh, I have benefited from it as someone who's learning how to do what I do, as well Mm -hmm. as working in partnership with other organizations. I think one of the reasons for the success of my organization is our collaborative nature. And we have been able to work with a lot of really good organizations here and who are all dedicated to the same goals. And I think that has definitely 
pushed us forward, not as quickly as any of us <laughs> would have liked, but uh, it definitely is a great environment. Um, but our organization is also really cognizant of the fact that when you move further away from Vancouver, there is less access to these organizations. Um, and often the advocates feel more isolated and just right. trying to that's find really one another. Point. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And so just cycling back to the online platform that we were talking about before the break, would such a platform actually allow advocates to communicate with each other, not just to decision makers in the government, but also have this unintended benefit of putting people in isolated communities who are advocating on disabilities, uh, disability issues in contact with one another? Absolutely. That is uh, hope for the for the process is that it would help those who have disabilities, whether you're an individual or an organization, um, be able to know who's out there, who's doing the work um, so we can learn from one another and work together and also just understand who else is, is within the field. And uh, for myself, you know, I, there's often jobs that we have to pass up and it's nice to know who mm-hmm. we can pass those jobs to. Uh, and I think that'll mm-hmm. be a great benefit. That is a good idea. Um, you know, I've, um, I mean, I've been working for a for fewer years than you have. Um, I, you know, I started my full time job about ten years ago now, and there are times when I feel really burnt out, and it kind yeah. of got me wondering when I realized that you had been not just working at creating accessible neighborhoods, but heading it up as executive director. Heather, how do you keep from getting burnt out? Uh, I don't. I have burnt out several (laughs) times. Um, And honestly, having a more intersectional approach with decolonization has been key these last five years to me being less burnt out, um, Mm -hmm. because I really appreciate everything I am learning from the people that are within Metro Vancouver when it comes to experiences as a racialized person or um, I'm queer and trans, and so, mm-hmm. you know, the 2S LGBTQIA plus community, learning from uh, the different identities, uh, learning from Indigenous people. I feel like uh, before I was giving, 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 and doing the work, but not really feeling like I was receiving anything. And, and with the more intersectional approach, I love learning. I love hearing about the different experiences, hearing where they intersect and where they diverge. Um, and that really gives me energy. Um, and I think I also see that there is some small movement <laughs> and that also helps. But honestly, there are still days where I burn out and I need to make sure that I look after myself. Community care is definitely important for that. I have an excellent support system. Um, I run a group called Chronically Queer, which is for mm-hmm. LGBTQ2SIA plus folk who have health conditions. And that group is an excellent support for me and everyone's there if I need to talk or have support. And, and I think having that community is, is vital to my being able to continue with this work. I also have lots of great consultants that I work with um, and who are ready to dive in if I need to step back on a project or need more assistance. Uh, and that has certainly helped me keep going. Community care as opposed to self-care. I mean, uh, the, the sort of prevailing wisdom is if you're having a rough day, call the employee assistance program and speak to a counselor if you're lucky enough to have an employee assistance program, that is, or, you know, run a bubble bath or go for a walk or listen to a podcast. <laughs> self-care puts the burden on the individual. But I loved what you said about community care. Tell us about why community care is different and maybe a more sustainable option for people with disabilities to look after themselves and each other. 
Well, in addition to the intersectional lens and decolonization, we also work within a disability justice framework. And disability justice recognizes that we're all interconnected and we all have access needs and that those needs um, are not shameful and that we should be vulnerable with each other and ask for what we need from one another. And that when we do, it's a beautiful thing um, because we are propped up by one another and that's not a bad thing. That's how we should um, exist as people on this earth. Um, and for myself, community care is self-care because mm -hmm. it's not having that burden on my shoulder alone. For a long time, I was raised to really believe, and, and not just raised as in my parents, but by society, that individualization was like important. And as an individual, I should look after myself. But that intense focus on an individual being able to be independent is actually a trauma response. It's from mm -hmm. not being able to like trust other people. And so for me, learning to have more of a community care approach, which is partly through the work that I've done with disability justice, um, is great because it shows that, hey, you're not in this alone. There's other people who want to be there for you. Here's how you discuss your needs and what you need from other people. And that just as they are supporting you, you are supporting them. And um, it's created some excellent relationships that I'm very happy to have in my life. But it's also given me the room to breathe that I need within the work that I do. Heather McCain, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you and speak to you. I really feel myself like the time has flown by, but thank you so much for being on the program. Thank you for having me. That was Heather McCain, who is one of four consultants with the Accessibility in Action Project, which is led by the IRIS Institute. Uh, Heather's contract will run for the next two years, and they'll be developing an online platform that will connect people with disabilities and representative organizations with decision makers and government to ensure that people who are bringing their organizations into compliance with the Accessible Canada Act are hearing from and connecting with people with Within the disability community. Heather is also a longtime activist and is the founder and executive director of CAN, or Creating Accessible Neighborhoods. And we had a, a really good chat about Heather's role with the Accessibility in Action Project, as well as Heather's activism and dedication to disability justice and intersectionality. It's a conversation that I, I feel I would want to go back and have a listen to because there's a lot of really good ideas there to unpack. And if you feel like you want to go back and have a listen as well, you can always find the podcast on your favorite podcast platforms. And while you're there, don't forget to like, rate, or subscribe. You can also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse where I will have a few additional things to say. But I'm going to close here by saying that I have really been thinking more about intersectionality and what that means for the disability community. Often on the show, I'll, I'll ask, questions about intersectionality, whether it's important and relevant to the work that we do. And I've often come away from those interviews with a sense that I should be digging deeper and not just making a perfunctory inquiry into intersectionality, because it is such a powerful concept that completely changes how we work, who we talk to, the way we do our work, and what we consider success. And so I've been doing a lot of thinking in the last six to eight weeks about intersectionality, and I'm probably going to bring on some other guests to help us all work through this concept a bit more in the weeks and months to come. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. I'd like to thank Heather McCain for being my guest on the program today. Our technical producer is Nasreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI Audio, and Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. Stay safe.
safe, everybody, and have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.